It's Stevie and the Nobodies out of Brighton in the UK with the song Funeral Bop. It's from their album Elevator. You can find them at stevieandthenobodies.bandcamp.com or just keep listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio because we're going to play the song in its entirety at the end of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is episode 265. I am your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the show and welcome to the announcement of the ballot for the 2016 Monster Rally Retro Awards. The rallies once a year. We are going to honor the best in genre cinema of yesteryear in a more formalized fashion. We're going to have an awards show, and I'm not announcing the ballot by myself this time because, really, how much fun is it just for me to sit here and read a bunch of names and movies? Let's get some conversation going. Let's have Stephen D. Sullivan back on the show to go over the ballot. Now, I wasn't the only person who worked on this ballot. This was actually put together by a handful of people, and I'll get into those details here in a little bit when we have Steve on the show. Steve was just on the show last week, and speaking of last week's episode, we got some feedback about that Rodan roundtable. It was a kaiju-sized episode. It was a roundtable discussion with me, Stephen D. Sullivan, Tony Wendell, and Mark Maddox. I had a lot of fun, and apparently, so did some of you. Hello, Derek. Joe Wyden here. Uh, Just wanted to comment on your last podcast. You and your guests did a great job covering Rodan, man. You brought back so many great memories, and... You know, when they were talking about um, how they used to go in and highlight the TV guide because you wanted to see those movies and then you would stay up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because, you know, there was, like they said, there was no way to record it or anything like that. And uh, it was appointment TV. And my God, I thought I was the only one that did that when I was a kid. And it was so nice to hear that these other guys are uh, did the same thing. But uh, I have always, always loved Rodan. And I think the the first one, the, the 56 one, I think that one, that movie, the tone of that movie, whether it's the English dub or the Jap- original Japanese language, I think that comes closest to the feel and the tone and the seriousness of the original Godzilla. I always felt that Rodan movie was that good, you know, and over the years they did kind of relegate him to a sidekick and everything but uh i just absolutely uh love rodan and i'm so glad you guys covered it man and uh yeah i was just wondering when you when you you said you watched it and you know the other guest said i was just wondering if they if they felt that because it didn't come up in the conversation is like the tone of the film do you feel the same way is it do you think it comes closest of all the other kaiju movies that toho did is it the rodan that came the closest uh, to the tone and the seriousness of the original Godzilla, the 54 Godzilla. I was just curious because I always felt that way, even as a little kid. You know, it, it's a, it's a very sad ending, you know, for, for a kaiju film. You know, it's pretty, pretty somber. But, uh, I think you guys did a great job and I, I love, I've listened to the podcast. It's the first time I've ever listened to the podcast three times. Okay. I just finished listening to it for the third time. I enjoyed it that much. And I'm looking forward to uh, your next couple of shows. I'm, I, I'm hoping you get back into some of the Planet of the Apes movies because I'm getting a kick out of hearing how much you're enjoying them. And I look forward to those. So, um, you know, there, keep up the great work. And uh, uh, I will keep – oh, another thing. Thank you for uh, having that guest on, that artist who did the cover, uh, the Rodan cover, the Rondo Award-nominated one. 
uh, beautiful cover, and I actually went back and bought every back issue of that Mad Scientist magazine that I could. I bought just about every back issue, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting those. But thanks for mentioning, thanks for having him on the show, because and then I got to add a new uh, magazine title to uh, my collection. So thanks for that. So anyway, again, keep up the great work. I will keep listening. Take care, Derek. Bye. You listened to the show three times. Wow. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're digging what we're doing here on Monster Kid Radio. And I had so much fun discussing this film with my friends, with these fellow Monster Kids. Mark Maddox, I tell you, this man's artwork is amazing. Out of the park, just hands down, some of the best. Well-deserved winner of the Rondo Award for Artist of the Year. And I'm glad you checked out Mad Scientist Magazine. I feel like we can't have enough print monster magazines in the world mad scientist is a fun one their covers are fantastic the content is solid so i'm glad you checked that out as far as rodan being somber in tone that's one of the reasons why i love it so much i love a wide range of kaiju films i love them all really i mean even something like godzilla final wars which i know has its fans i will find things about that movie that i enjoy it may not be very high on my list but it's still something i derive pleasure from that said I really like the first Godzilla film because it is so dark. It's a monstrous monster movie. And I agree with you. Rodan is also just as dark and just as somber. And I like that a lot about Rodan. Maybe that's why they went out of their way to make him such a affable sidekick type character when they brought him back. Because when he came back, the kaiju films were starting to get a little less serious, a little more goofy in spots. And I don't know. I feel like it's such a missed opportunity. I love Rodan for so many reasons, this being one of them. Another one being that the film itself is so Lovecraftian in spots. This was actually brought up a couple of times on Facebook, asking why I didn't bring that up during the roundtable discussion. You know, the truth is, the conversation that you heard, there was actually probably another hour of content that I pulled out of that roundtable. Some of it had to do with Rodan. Some of it was just us talking about general monster things. It was an awesome conversation, but I wanted to tighten up that roundtable before I put it out on the show. I still have all that recorded material. Probably will use that as bonus content down the line. But even then, because I'm the one here at Monster Kid Radio Central recording everything, I saw how long we were going, and I just didn't want to bring up the Lovecraft thing. That said, if anybody wants to call in and talk about Lovecraftian elements in Rodan or any other kaiju film, I'm all ears. Y'all know that I have a mad on for all things Lovecraft. So yeah, anytime I can rub a little Cthulhu or Neolarhotep or Dagon or just Lovecraft in general on Monster Kid Radio, I'm there. I may have just summoned something by saying those three names in succession. So let me say, Joe, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. I'll go over the voicemail number at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that or head over to monsterkidradio.net and find it for yourself and call in about this episode or anything else you've heard about here on the show up to and including the ballot for the rallies, which Steve and I are going to go over right after I spin a couple of trailers right now. Nothing can stop it. The Blob. Starring Steve McQueen. It creeps. It crawls. It's slithery. It's slimy. The Blob. Plus Dinosaurus, both in shrieking color. It's the Scream's thrilled classic of all time, The Phantom of the Opera. Masterpiece of the macabre. In color, the Phantom of the Opera. Creature with the Atom Ray. A motion picture shot full of thrills based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines. You'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. 
see Columbia Pictures startling. Creature with the Atom Ray. Before we get into the ballot, uh, okay, so 1942, when Steve and I are talking about it, we misnamed a movie. We got the title of a film wrong. In fact, we were off by about two years. Okay, I know full well that 1942's entry into the Mummy franchise from Universal was actually The Mummy's Tomb, not The Mummy's Ghost. However, and I think I'm the first person who said it, Mummy's Ghost in 1944, and then Steve is just repeating back what I said. So a couple of times when we're talking about that movie, I mentioned the ghost. I call it The Mummy's Ghost. It's not. It's The Mummy's Tomb. I know. I'm sorry. And, uh, yeah. Steve, are you okay? I am fine. I have recovered from the Rodan attack, although I do have a bit of a head cold. I didn't realize that was one of Rodan's uh, um, offensive capabilities, is to give a cold. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the, you know, when you see the movie and you see the breath coming out of him, I think that's all cold germs. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, really, you're probably just allergic. Uh, yeah, it could, be, it could be. I'm allergic to everything else, so I don't know why I shouldn't be allergic to giant uh, daikaiju. That is such a sad thing for a monster kid to say out loud. Oh, no. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm not allergic to latex and rubber and stuff, so I'd probably be okay with them. Right on, right on. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, Stephen D. Sullivan. How's it been going in the, like, week or so since I've talked to you? <laughs> it, aside from this head cold, it's been going really good. I've been working pretty hard on Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and uh, generally having a pretty good time out here. I wanted to do an award show last year on Monster Kid Radio. You know, I, I like doing award shows on these podcasts I'm involved with. So we launched the Monster Rally Retro Awards, where we honor the previous genre films. It's nice because it's not like I have to go out looking for all these new movies to nominate because we're going back and looking at these older films. And Steve had the brilliant idea, and I, I mean this with <laughs> all hyperbole aside, it was really a good idea to not just do, okay, one a year, one a year. We're going to do 1931, 41, and 51 last year. This year, we're doing 32, 42, and 52. Since it was Steve's idea, he and I had talked off mic and through Facebook, I wanted to have him on to help announce the ballot for this year's rally awards. Awesome. I don't know what I was thinking. I must have been on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> well, it, it does uh, mix up the, the subject matter a little bit and give it a little breadth to it, So it's and it's fun. It's been interesting as I put together the ballot, and you can kind of see the different decades of horror, the differences, or just genre films in general, because it's not just monster movies. And there's some science fiction in there as well, and a little, yep. a little bit of fantasy adventure, which has, been, which has been fun to look at and explore. But it's interesting to see this is what a 1930s monster movie was like. This is what a 1940s monster movie was like as I put the ballot together and just kind of compare. Right. It gives you a real appreciation of what was going on kind of in, in the decades and maybe through reflection in the world at the time that these things mm -hmm. were, were being filmed. Definitely. And then there's 1952. <laughs> and then there's 1952. Yeah, I was actually really shocked. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, too, once we get there. But I was shocked. 1952 was a tough year. The wasteland. <laughs> it really was. And I don't we'll know why there, that is. I, I <laughs> so I didn't put the spell together by myself. Steve helped out quite a bit. Uh, I had a conversation with him online, and there were a few other people who have requested to remain nameless, or I've just 
forgotten who it was, uh, helped me uh, put together the ballot as well. So Steve's aware of some of these ballot choices because he suggested them, and I agree so with him. What what you're saying is I get the blame. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to blame Steve. If you don't like your choices and you have to use the you know the, the uh, other fill in the blank, whatever you know your own choice, it's Steve's fault. Right, and all the listeners are getting to vote on who actually wins these awards. That's yes. the way this works, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. We present the ballot. There's going to be a Google form or a Google Doc set up. You can just go in and select the bullet, and you're good. That's it. Super easy. From Haiti, land of the voodoo. The most infamous cult of all. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the undead damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombie. Yes, they are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead. Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed the certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. White zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halabi! Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent, never magic so black, Bela Dracula Lugosi, as the master of the white zombie. Eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? 
human or inhuman, you'll know, you'll see, you'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. <laughs> We'll just start with 1932, and I'll I'll go through the best actor nominees. And in the 30s, if you don't see a Lugosi or a Karloff somewhere on the ballot, somebody's not paying attention. And in best actor, we have three of them. One of them's a repeat. We have Boris Karloff from The Mummy, Bela Lugosi from White Zombie, and Bela Lugosi from Murders in the Rue Morgue, which is going to be a tough call for me. Not that I'm trying to influence the listeners, but I'm just saying. Uh-huh. Uh, Walter Houston from Congo and oh, Charles Lawton from Island of Lost Souls. This is an amazingly strong category. Oh, yes. This year. I mean, not only do we have the big names in Karloff and Lugosi, and Walter Houston is a huge name in film in general, and maybe not as well known to monster kids. Right. But Houston and Lawton, they're towering talents of actors drop the two of them into this category and i don't know if you've seen congo but walter houston is just amazing in it oh he's fantastic and uh congo for those of you that don't know is a remake of west of zanzibar with lon cheney senior which was done silent and just obviously just a few years later and if cheney had lived maybe he would have been in it they did Congo with Houston playing the Cheney part. And it is one of the most twisted films I have ever seen in my life. It's just amazingly wicked. And, and, oh, just thinking about some of the stuff that's in it make, makes me shiver. Yeah. Know, it's, it's twisted. There are some things in there that are just, you know, and that's something about the thirties films is I didn't expect them to be so dark in times yeah and this is pre-code 1932 exactly didn't really start cracking down until 1933 and later so 32 and 33 you get things in these films that just two years later you wouldn't be able to get for instance congo has drug addiction and it has prostitution and it has white slavery i'm gonna say some race stuff in there that you would not see a few years later and it's unpleasant it's not that they were trying to sugarcoat this they were making these things unpleasant and so that's amazing and you see the same thing the same kind of thing in the island of lost souls with the torture of the animals and the the subtext of it and that kind of stuff the you know the fact that the the panther woman is being set up to to mate with a human being and all these kind of things you weren't going to get that just a few years later no and so in this year the quality of these performers is just amazing i mean Boris Karloff as the mummy, that's one of his great roles. 
maybe his greatest acting performance in some ways, and certainly one of his creepiest. And then we get Bela Lugosi in White Zombie as Murder Legendre, one of his best roles. Mm-hmm. And then again, Lugosi in Murder in the Room Morgue, another of his best roles. And then Walter Houston is this twisted old man with crippled legs who's pretending to be a god in the Congo. And Charles Lawton, who's turning animals into human beings. This is some dark stuff, but some really just, good oof. stuff. If you haven't oh, seen yeah. any of these movies that we're talking about, what are you doing listening to this? you got to go see some of these films. Oh, yeah. And then all, come of back. These, all of these are must-see. And, and the one that Monster Kids are probably least likely to have seen is Congo. But Walter Houston is, it's a genre film, it's a horror film in the, the grand, this is terrifying sense, not in the, there's a monster in the closet kind of sense. There's a sense of kind of fun to some like the 50s monster movies. You right. get into the 30s and they do tend to get pretty dark and, I mean, Congo is just so outside of the box in terms of like traditional monster movie, but it's good. It's effective. Yeah, it's, it's really good. good. It's and good. it's twisted. It mm-hmm. is way twisted if you thought island of lost souls was twisted you gotta see congo there you go there you go how about a double feature of those two back to back (laughs) (laughs) yeah they could be tough to take anyway great actors all right well we have some good actresses too we've got uh, some repeat films we got kathleen burke from island of the lost souls speaking of the panther woman zita johan or is it johan or johan did we ever decide i i think it's johan but i wouldn't swear she's from the mummy and then we've got Fay Ray. Good old Fay Ray. Fay Ray. Fay Ray. It's amazing what a force Fay was in genre pictures right now. I mean, this is the year before King Kong. Yeah, we're going to see her all over the ballot next year, I'm sure. Yeah, and we're going to see her again on the ballot this year, too. Mm-hmm. So We've got The Most Dangerous Game, and she was in the movie Dr. X as well. Both of those were nominated. Yep, so you get Fay Ray times two here, just like you got Bela Lugosi times two mm-hmm. in the Best Actor category, and both really well-deserved. And then finally, Gloria Stewart, who I believe was, wasn't she the one that was nominated for an Oscar for Titanic? Yes, yeah, she's the old woman in Titanic. She is the old Rose, the modern-day Rose. And she's a young woman yeah, in the old dark house. And again, these are very strong performances in all of these pictures by all of these actresses. This is a great category. And again, Faye Ray, in this time period, in 1932, she made these two films. In 1933, she made Mystery of the Wax Museum, The Vampire Bat, and King Kong. So this is Faye Ray's wheelhouse here. Oh, she yes. is at the height of her powers as a young actress. And we talked about The Mummy, I think, is kind of a cheat, because you and I talked about that not too long ago here on the yes. show. And I loved her. Yeah. I loved Zita in that. Yeah, Zita's awesome. She, so charismatic. She was quite a character, and, you know, too. She's great. So. I'd love to know more about her as a person. And we talked a little bit about some of the uh, progressiveness of her behavior and the way her career kind of worked in Hollywood. And just, she's amazing in this film. Yep. Yeah, she is. And as you said, Island of Lost Souls, the, the Panther Woman. is. Uh, we get great stuff going on here. We really do. We really do. All right, so Best Director, we've got five films. Uh, Vampire, directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer. Have you seen this film? I have. We also have James Whale, who directed The Old Dark House. Todd Browning, director of Freaks. William J. Cohen, who directed Congo. And then Victor Halperin, director of White Zombie. You know, 32 was obviously a really strong year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really was. For genre films, for monster-related films, and for directors. Vampire is a very weird film. It's German, and it's 
not quite silent. It's a technically it's a sound film, but not all the scenes are in sound, and it's very creepy and very dreamlike. And it's a it's a film that it's so dreamlike. In fact, even though I've seen it at least twice, I would have a hard time telling you what's in it and what the storyline is. But it's basically about a a man in a creepy old place who has dreams of vampires and is kind of stalked by vampires and what's real and what's not real and what's dream and not dream always gets kind of jumbled up in my mind. Every time I watch that movie, when I walk away from it, I feel like I have been watching the world through some thick gauze because it is so dreamy and so dreamlike, but it is moody. I mean, when it comes to just putting mood on screen. Oh, it's very moody. Oh, I really enjoyed that film. Even amid the five films that these five directors did in this year, you would say that all of them are moody, but Vampire is easily the moodiest of them, which is amazing considering it's in the same category with Old Dark House, Freaks, and White Zombie, and Congo, for that matter. The directing styles of these five directors here are all effective and chilling, but so different. I mean, James Whale is having a lot of fun in the Old Dark House, but it's still a great you know, old Dark House style movie. There's a reason why we refer to the old Dark House as a trope, not just a film. I mean, he kind right, of set, yeah, the, yeah. set the standard here. It's a movie here. that is so iconic that we use it to refer to other movies. <laughs> well, that's an old Dark House movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, and we all know what that means. Yep. But this is the original one. It's got great actors in it, too. It's got Karloff and it's got uh, Charles Lawton, as I remember, and who, who didn't do a lot of genre films. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he did Old Dark House and he did uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame and he did Island of Lost Souls. Those are the ones that stick in my mind. And they're, again, kind of in this same time period for two of those in the same year. <laughs> I may be misremembering this, but I think I read somewhere that he wasn't a big fan of having makeup put on his face, like the prosthetic stuff. Right. He may have steered away from some of that just to kind of right. stay away from that. So. so we obviously put up with it as Quasimodo sure. in a, a great version of Hunchback of Notre Dame. And then we've got Todd Browning for Freaks. And if you haven't seen Freaks, which is one of the most infamous films in the horror genre period, you should definitely check it out. Todd Browning, boy. Here's a, we were talking a little bit before the show about European directors in the 70s kind of putting their id up on screen and letting it run wild. <laughs> and Todd Browning was doing that in the 1930s. Yes, there, he was. He, he was looking into all the dark recesses of his own soul and showing them to you. Well, he did that with a lot of his silent films, too, with uh, the Cheney Sr. Absolutely. You know, I almost feel like out of all of his films, Dracula is probably the least Todd Browning of them all. Yes. Yeah. It's, and that's because it's so stage-bound mm-hmm. in the second half. You actually, in the first part of it, you get a little more of what one would call the Browning style and the Browning mystique. And then it just gets completely trapped by the stage setting in the second half, which is, you know, I love Dracula. But it's it's such a shame that it got so constricted there and and doesn't give us the kind of stuff we expect from a Todd Browning film in a lot of ways. Agreed. And both Whale and Browning in this category, I think, with the films that we're talking about here, are great examples of what happens once they get past that initial studio barrier. Because I love Dracula. I love Frankenstein. But when you get past Frankenstein with James Whale, you start to really see him experiment and play. And you get a little bit of that in The Old Dark House. And then, of course, in Bride of Frankenstein, you get a lot. Yep. It's more Whaleian than the first right. one. He's uh, another one of these guys that kind of like to peek into the dark corners of his soul and show them to you. 
So, and uh, Old Dark Horse starts it, but yeah, maybe it reaches its pinnacle in Bride of Frankenstein. Talked about Congo a lot just a couple of minutes ago, and that's when I first saw Congo, it just shocked me. I was watching it because it seemed like it had kind of an interesting uh, summary in TV Guide or in the Turner Classic Guide or wherever it was I first ran across it. And then I started watching it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is just twisted. This is, wow, this is crazy. This is, I can't believe they're doing this on film back in the day. It's definitely, check it out. It's brilliantly directed, brilliantly acted. Uh, you know, all of these films are well-produced, and... Uh, even White Zombie, which is the last one in the category here, which, as we all know, is a poverty row picture, which means basically they had no money to produce it with. They were still so creative in what they had and using old sets from other productions that they could rent and that kind of stuff. That White Zombie is amazingly stylish on a very low budget. I love White Zombie. Obviously, I love White Zombie. I did a novelization of it. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I have talked about it here on the show, as I recall. Yeah, it's a great film. It really is. And the direction in that, the, what he had to do to make that movie work, is just amazing. And really well directed. So much so that it's on the ballot list for best movie. White Zombie's right there. And deservedly so. Mm -hmm. Alongside The Mummy, Island of Lost Souls, The Old Dark House, and then The Most Dangerous Game, which I want to bring up real quick. Because I really struggled a little bit with this one turning up on... The ballot is it technically a horror or genre film? And I think ultimately you and I talked a little bit on Facebook, and I agree it is. I just really struggled with it for a little while. It's a horror film, but it's also an adventure film. Mm -hmm. That kind of makes it a little weird. It also has, for Monster Kids, there were uh, sets and other things that were common between The Most Dangerous Game and King Kong in the next year. And in some ways, Most Dangerous Game was kind of like a dry run for a lot of the stuff that they ended up using. Uh, in terms of sets and in terms of uh, matte paintings and that kind of stuff in King Kong just a year later. And even the score, which is by Steiner, is kind of a, a foreshadowing of the score that he does for King Kong in the next year, which is considered one of the first modern film scores in terms of having a an end-to-end -end score in the film. And you get to to see previews of all that in Most Dangerous Game. But then you also have the horror aspect of the, the story, which is that Faye Ray and Joel McRae are trapped on this island where the madman is going to hunt them the way he hunts wild animals, which is a really horrible and creepy concept. I think it totally deserves to be here sure. with the rest of them. And it's a great film. It really and it's is. a very short film. You know, I mean, one of the wonderful things about films from this era is that they were not going to overstay their welcome in your time. You know, they're 70 minutes, 80 minutes, some of them closer to 60 minutes. They're going to get in. They're going to give you what they wanted to show you, and then they're going to get out. And that's kind of a wonderful thing. And, you know, I, I love epics. I'm a big fan of Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments and these super long movies. But at the same time, it's so much easier to arrange for an hour and a half to watch something. And all of these movies, I think, are under an hour and a half long. Unless uh, Lost Souls might be a little longer. No, I don't think so. Anyway, they're all brief and to the point. And that's one of the things that I think makes them really powerful and, and in some ways more powerful than films from later days that are longer. And again, going down the list, White Zombie, The Mummy, Islands of Lost Souls, The Most Dangerous Game, The Old Dark House. These are all classics. You should have seen 
all of these. If you haven't seen them, go out and see them now. Great stuff. Exactly. I agree 100%. These are all really good films. And we were talking earlier about the Rondos being an excellent checklist of things you might have missed from last year. This, I feel, thanks to Steve and some of the other people who helped out, is an excellent checklist of movies that if you haven't seen, you got to see. You yeah. really do. There's a reason why we're saying they're some of the best and we're putting it on my award saying, but I mean, they're really good. Really, really good. And sometimes because the monsters are just great. And that's our final category for 32. You like that segue? Huh? Yeah. Huh? What's really the professional there, yeah. Derek. Mm, sure. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So best monster. I mean, we've mentioned almost all. Well, no, I guess we haven't, have we? There's a couple no, we haven't that are actually talked a lot about the monsters in these films. So we have the mummy. And, you know, I know that he plays two different characters in the film, but I, I can just put Ardeth Bay with him, Hotep, just put them together. So he's the mummy. He's a great monster. Right, yeah. Well, whether he's in the wrappings or out, he's the mummy. Yes, he is. he's the monster in this film. As we talked a couple of years ago, there a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> some of the makeup effects that Jack Pierce did with the mummy in both guises have seldom been equaled and never surpassed. Just great work there. We also have Lola, the Panther Woman. From Island of Lost Souls, and that's a wonderful, creepy part, and sympathetic, and it's a great role. It really is. As is Sayer of the Law, portrayed by Bela Lugosi in that film. And what an interesting turn where you have Lugosi supposedly saying he didn't want to wear a lot of makeup in Frankenstein, and here he is in some incredible makeup in Island of Lost Souls. You know, I'm not sure if he's an ape man or a, a uh, wolf man or what, but the Sayer of the Law is I, an iconic character. People that don't even know the role or Lugosi know the saying of the Sayer of the Law, which is, are we not men? Mm-hmm. And those of you that grew up in the 70s and 80s now reply, we are Devo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which is where they got the, the yep. line from. Yep, it's, so it's part of pop culture. From this, from this film, so and from the Lugosi character. And then another Lugosi film, but not the Lugosi character in it, Eric the Ape from Murders in the Room Org. Yep, which is a, a pretty darn good ape suit for the time. Except for the close-ups, which... Unfortunately <laughs> yeah. cut in with real ape in the close-ups. So, I you don't know, get that. Kind of a little slap on the Monster Kid wrist there for... I guess they wanted something really realistic for the close-ups, but the two don't match up really well at all. Anyway, we're sorry, Eric. You're, you weren't ready for your close-up, apparently. Charles Gamora was the performer of the gorilla of Eric the Ape, and Gamora was one of the, I believe, one of the original gorilla men of early yeah. Hollywood. And there's a really good documentary that's out there now. People can check out about Charles Gamora. And I'm going to be talking about Charles Gamora here in the near future on the show and that documentary. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming up. Oh, cool. I haven't seen it. I look forward to it. And then finally, The Zombies from White Zombie. This is the first zombie film. And how can you not have some of these iconic zombies on here on this list of best monsters? I mean, they're great. Yeah, that- no, they're they're great zombies. They're really creepy. They play a major part in the film, too. So not the flesh-eating zombies that we have today, the classical dead people zombies work in the fields, work in the mills, fallen in between the grinders and the mills. Right, it's and a- <laughs> with no reaction from any of the other zombies, it's just they keep moving. And that scene is so creepy as it is when you start it because you hear the sugar cane moving. Right, yeah, you hear the grinding, you hear all the creaking and the groaning and the mm-hmm. and the shuffling of these soulless men. It's uh, The zombies are great in White Zombie. They really are. And again, you go back to some of the direction in that. The way yep. he mounts the camera just a little off-center, 
with yep. the zombies coming down the hill. That scene, I mean, literally, I'm getting goosebumps right now, and I mean that literally. And I probably said, literally, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about the zombies coming down the hill. Yeah, oh. when you first see them, mm. they're shambling down the hill, and it's clear that there's something very, very wrong with these people because they're dead. Well, yeah, I would do it. 32 is an interesting year. Lots of good stuff. Great year. Great year for Monster Kids. Kind of a seminal year, and it's right at the foundation of our Monster Kid heritage. Lots of good stuff to see in 32. Interested to see how this year turns out in the actual awards, because last year, listeners might remember, the 32 and 42 were kind of blowouts. Every Frankenstein film that was on the ballot anywhere, you know, that's what won. And The Wolfman won whatever category it was on last year. And deservedly so. Yeah, and they're great films. I'm just curious to see now where there's so much quality here, so much diversity. The choices are much tougher in 1932 than we've maybe seen in a lot of the ballots so far, and, and maybe tougher than we'll see in some of the ballots in the future. Although 52 is tough for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, though. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. Once upon a night, two wisps of smoke were out on a lark. A witch and her father. Goodbye, father. Goodbye, Jennifer. Be a bad girl. Her first night was a calamity, but she was rescued by a very handsome man. Oh, cold in this furnace. But I have no clothes. No clothes. Now, this little witch was no ordinary witch. Oh, no. She was beautiful and did the strangest things. But she had a terrible time making the right man fall in love with her. Well, I'm a pretty good judge of character. And I don't think you're really a, a bad girl. I guess this will take longer than I planned. It's getting late. But I want you to know what I am. All right. All right. What are you? I'm a witch. Why do you look at me that way? Oh. My dress. Do you like it? I don't know. It's such a shock to see you dressed. From the depths of doom comes the most fearful monster of the ages to strike with paralyzing terror the despoilers of ancient tombs. Here is new horror by the master of menace, Lon Chaney as the mummy, with Dick Foran, John Hubbard, Ellis Knox, George Zuko, Wallace Ford, Turon Bay, in The Mummy's Tomb. that's been alive for over 3,000 years is in this town and it's brought death with it. We've got to run it down. Welcome 
we'll go through 1942s, and I'm just going to dive right into the best actor list. And hey, there's Lugosi again. What a shock. Yeah, I know, right? In The Ghost of Frankenstein. As Igor. Mm-hmm. And we have Wallace Ford from The Mummy's Ghost. Who's Babe, I think. I believe so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's great. He's just fun. Yep. Cecil Calloway from I Married a Witch, which... <laughs> witch? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> It, it's That's a, a wonderful film. We'll talk, we'll, yeah, let's we'll get, get to, to we'll the get best to actors. We'll talk about yeah, we'll them. Get, we'll get to it. James Ellison from The Undying Monster, and then Lionel Atwell from Dr. Renault's Secret. A good category, I guess. It really is. Now, Lugosi as Igor in Ghost of Frankenstein. I mean, I think I prefer him in Son of Frankenstein as Igor, but he's yep. still great in this. Igor is one of Lugosi's best characters, and this is his second best Igor performance, but it's still <laughs> Igor. <laughs> yeah, this is Igor after he had some dental work done. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which actually lessens the character as far as I'm concerned. I think so, too. I think so, too. But it's still great. He's still good. So good. And then The Mummy's Ghost. I mean, it's great to see some of these other Mummy sequels turn up. I love them. I mean, of course, the Karloff film is great iconic and one of the best, but I love the Universal Mummy franchise. Yeah, and, and there's there's good character acting, particularly in this one. That's good, you know, got uh, some of the characters from uh, from the Mummy's Hand returning, and I, that Wallace Ford is one of them, as I recall. And then Cecil Calloway, who is not in that many genre films, although isn't he the scientist in um, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, I think? I know. Pretty sure he is. And if I'm wrong, well, we'll find out when we actually get to 1953 or 4 or whenever <laughs> this came out. <laughs> anyway, there are two witches, and I married a witch. There is the father witch and the daughter witch, and he is the father witch. And this is a wonderful film that stars Frederick March, as I recall, and Veronica Lake mm-hmm. and Cecil Calloway. And he's, he's a lot of fun in it. He really is. It's an interesting movie, and we'll talk more about it as we go. Uh, we have The Undying Monsters, uh, James Ellison, which I'm going to be honest, you know, yesterday on Facebook, I posted that I'm watching it over lunch. First time I'd seen it. Wow. First time I'd seen it. And a lot of people reacted to me just posting on Facebook that I was watching it over lunch. But I also had it come up a couple of times while discussing putting the ballot together. I liked him in this. And man, I wish I had seen him in more as that character. Is he the lead? He's the detective guy. Detective character? Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. The Undying Monster is kind of a... A weird film. It's a werewolf film. Doesn't really have much werewolf in it. It's kind of an old dark house mystery with a werewolf kind of shooed horned in the last couple of minutes. But the, the characters in The Undying Monster, the, the detective and his female assistant and, and the people in the house, they're all really interesting and really good. So they, they really are. I enjoyed it and I would love to hang out with those guys more. It's yeah, a shame that yeah, you didn't absolutely. get to see more it's of them. It's kind of surprising they didn't actually do some kind of a sequel with them. Or at least just pair the actors together again. And maybe they did, and I'm just not aware. But right, yeah, James Ellison be. and Heather Thatcher back and forth in that film I loved. Yeah, no, they were awesome together. And then finally, Lionel Atwill. Yeah. I mean, another mainstay of some of these films. Right. This is a kind of a lesser-known film, and mm-hmm. it's it's been a while since I've watched it. And I kind of had to refresh my my memory fairly recently, just kind of looking. It's like, oh yeah, right. That's in one. It's in one of the Fox multi movie sets as kind of one of one of the outliers. I don't think it's in the same one with uh, the Undying Monster. But I... there's there's two of those sets. One of them, at least one has the Undying Monster, and at least one has Doctor Renault's Secret. It's kind of a creepy mad scientist movie, and At Will is 
one of our premier creepy mad scientists. Oh, he's great at it. I, I would love to go through and just maybe see a supercut of all of his mad scientist performances put together oh, on yeah. YouTube or something. Awesome. So, listeners, if you have some free time, you know. And he's kind of creating a monster. And I, the monster, I think, appears later on the list. Yes. So the best actress category, I mean, one of the best right off the bat, not just because alphabetically her name comes up first, Evelyn Anchors from The Ghost of Frankenstein. I love Evelyn Anchors. Really who do. Evelyn, aside from Lon Chaney Jr., who doesn't love well, Evelyn <laughs> He had some questionable taste, I'll just say that, because Evelyn <laughs> is amazing. Yeah, she I love is. her so much. Simone Simone from The Cat People. Who is the actual cat person in Cat mm-hmm. People. Veronica Lake, who's gorgeous in I Married a Witch. This is the one I think monster kids are not going to have seen. We'll talk about it a little after we finish the category. Uh, Jane Randolph, also from The Cat People. And I always worry when I have more than one person from the same film. Are they going to cancel each other out or what? So we'll see how that one turns out. Yeah, and she's the – she's not a reporter, but she's the the other girlfriend, the one that Mm -hmm. ends up in the swimming pool in the film. And then Heather Angel from The Undying Monster, and now she's not the other detective character in that. She's the the lead female. Her, I feel like her strongest work in that film is at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I probably would have put the other detective into that into this category if it were up to me. But you have a panel that helps decide these things, and I'm only one of them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's she's good, too. She is really good. Evelyn Anker is playing the daughter of Dr. Frankenstein. I, what can you say about Evelyn Anchors that hasn't already been said? She's She is one of the crown jewels of monster movie actresses. In she fact, really she's is. probably right at the top of the list. Yeah, she you did know, a ton it, for Universal. A ton. It's, it's Evelyn Anchors and then later Barbara Steele, and they're the queens of monster movies, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I love my Julie Adams. I really do. So much so oh, that we're going to have a themed month for her. But when Which it comes, is awesome. But, <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'll have you on for one of them, Any, for one of those episodes. Why not? But she didn't do a lot of genre film. Not a lot. Evil and Anchors, who may or may not have enjoyed doing these movies, ended up doing a lot. And some of that is because you were back in those days, you were a contract player. Studio system. So they were giving you a salary every week, and you came in and you made whatever picture was on the docket that week. And for Universal, that was going to put you in a lot of monster movies and Inner Sanctum and that kind of stuff. I'm going to have you hanging out with Lon Chaney for a while, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> whether you liked it or not. Yep. I mean, I, we all know from previous discussions that Evelyn and, and Lon did not get along, that they didn't like each other. But on screen, they were magic together, and everybody knows it. They had great chemistry. They really did. I mean, seven times. Didn't they work seven movies together? Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's uh, You know, even though he's only the monster <laughs> in The Ghost of Frankenstein. There they are again. She's one of these actresses that when she shows up in a movie, the rest of the movie suffers when she's not on screen. Yeah. There's one of the Invisible Man sequels that she turns up at the very beginning and the very end. And the whole time I'm thinking, when's Evelyn coming back? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then we've got Simone Simone, who is playing just a very creepy part as Irena in The Cat People. It's a a great role and one of the iconic, obviously one of the iconic female monsters. In all of monsterdom. That's true. You and didn't get a lot of that. Well, I mean, even today, you still don't get a lot of that. But back in the 40s? Don't. Under the masterful guidance of Luton and Turner, the whole is she or isn't she, the whole cat people is a masterpiece. And one of the reasons is her. Another one is Jane Randolph, who is so likable 
being Simone Simone's rival in the film that you kind of understand both of the women's points of view in this. You know, Simone Simone is married to this guy, but she's kind of sexually withholding from him because she's cursed by the cat people because if so, if she has sex, she might turn into this monster. And that kind of thrusts him into the arms of uh, the other woman, the Jane Randolph character. And she doesn't kind of want him to cheat on his wife. She's trying to support him in his marriage, and at the same time, it's really obvious that the marriage is really screwed up. <laughs> and here she is. You know, she's the best friend that's kind of helping him out to start and then gets kind of caught up in the in the jealousy and stuff of the Simone Simone Irena character. So, the the two of them are marvelous together, and they really give a great dynamic to cat people. Just Great stuff. It really is good. Good stuff. And if you haven't seen Gap People, and I don't think I've done, outside of I Walk with a Zombie, I don't think I've done a lot of, or any Val Luton on the film, on the show. They just did, like, all of them on Turner Classic Movies, like, two days ago. Back to back to back to back. And I'm I'm lucky enough that I've got a box set that has all of them. And they're all, oh, man. They really are good, man. Val Luton was a master. There's a documentary that I think TCM plays every once in a while that might be in that box set. Yes. Hosted by Scorsese, I believe. Yeah, Man in the Shadows, I think it's called. Really good. By Scorsese, yeah. Now, no substitute for not watching the movies. I mean, you need to watch these films. But it's a good documentary, too. If you watch the documentary, it'll make you want to watch the films. Yes. They're all great films, and they're all... Again, a study in how much you can do with very little. When I was a kid and I first saw some of these films, Cat People, I, I dug, but some of the other ones were a little disappointing because I'm a monster kid, right? So you want to see the monster. And the thing about a Luton and a Turner film is you don't get to see the monster because they have no budget. So all the horror is going on in your own mind. And Cat People, in some ways, is probably the pinnacle of all of that stuff. It's just, it's a brilliant film. Well, speaking of monsters, uh, do you want to talk about The Witch from I Married a Witch, played by yeah, Veronica Lake? Yeah, let's talk about Veronica Lake. This is the film that I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot of people hearing this podcast are not going to have seen I Married a Witch, because it's a comedy. Yeah. And it's a supernatural comedy. Here's the thing. If you've ever seen Bewitched, you've kind of seen... I married a witch. Yes. Because the Bewitched television show is clearly based on this story. And it's a wonderful story. And Veronica Lake, if you haven't seen Veronica Lake in this or Sullivan's Travels or any of her other films, she's a movie star. She's one of those people, when she is on screen, she lights up the screen. And she's funny, and she's smart, and she's charming. And in this film, she's a witch that has been executed many, many years ago and comes back in the modern day and tries to seduce a guy away from his then his kind of stuffy and uninteresting fiance. And you root for her all the way because she's just wonderful. She's a and she's she's a great actress and and like I said, she's a she's got that movie star thing. When she's on on screen, you watch Veronica Lake. You do. I said earlier that she's beautiful, but she's so much more than that. I think she really is. She's magnetic. She's yeah, she is. And she's a great actress, too. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, people should check that out. You know, and we mentioned Heather Angel and the Undying Monster, and, and you know, she gives a good turn. So, But it's hard to talk about her after Veronica Lake. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is true. I, I actually think I might need a moment. So if you give me a second. That's no. a tough category, though. All of, you know, so far, these categories are, are really tricky. It's going to be interesting to see how people vote in these. If you can see all the films before you vote, take the time to do that. Because as, as I said earlier, they're not that long. I, I Marry the Witch may be one of the longer films in this, and I'd be surprised if it's more than an hour and 40 minutes long. Yes, so. agreed. Well, let's talk about directors here. We already mentioned some of these already, kind of naturally. Anyway, how can you not talk about Jacques Tourneur from The Cat People? I mean, he directed right. such a, I mean, one of Val Luton's go-to guys, if not the go-to guy for Val. Yeah, the two of them were magic together. Magic. And then you have Eric C. Kenton, who directed The Ghost of Frankenstein. Harold Young, who directed The Mummy's Tomb. And is it Renee Claire who directed I Married a Witch? And then John mm-hmm. Graham, who directed The Undying Monster. Again, uh, a good field here. Yes. Uh, Jock Turner and his work with Val Luton. I know we've talked about that just a moment ago, but you really can't say enough about the work these two guys did together. They were just an amazing, amazing producer-director pair in in a way that's seldom been rivaled in all of cinema. Uh, they were obviously very concerned with having a really good script to work from, so all their movies are strongly written, and they had no budget on any of them virtually, so they had to make you think, and they had to use light and shadow and all the kind of stuff that films do best. All of that, they did. And boy, they pretty much knocked it out of the park every time they stepped up to the plate, and Cat People may be their masterpiece. Ghost of Frankenstein is a fun entry in the Frankenstein oeuvre. It's actually maybe one of the least seen in a lot of ways, because it kind of gets trapped between the bride and then the the start of the monster rally ones with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. This is the fourth film in that cycle, and it's got a hard job. I mean, it's the first Frankenstein without Karloff in the role. Yep. It's really got a tough, you know, a rough time of it, but I still think it's a decent film. I think it's John Landis that mentions on the Criterion release in an interview of uh, Island of Lost Souls where he's a little cool on the film. But I think if you watch it, you can see some interesting things. It's stylish in a way that some of the other films aren't. It is, and it has some interesting concepts, and it's got obviously it has Bela as Igor, and then it's got a it's got a nice twist in the end. It's it's one of these films that this is kind of universal in their factory setting, turning out these monster movies. It's a really solid entry. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's as good as Sun or as good as Bride by any means, but it's a solid entry in the thing. Mm-hmm. And the Mummy's Tomb is from that same era. Exactly. Again, it's the factory era of Universal we're getting into at this point, and they're turning out these solid seventy minute monster thrillers and that and it's fun we like it a lot mm-hmm. really you know, good pacing in a lot of these with these universal films you call it the factory mode the, the monster factory i mean it's it's what it is but you still have an opportunity to see some interesting stylish things you can't just write them off as being these kinds of movies these are good films right yeah you know it's like you you assemble a, a f- an assembly line in a factory in order to ensure that the quality is good time and time again. I mean, that's what Ford was doing with his cars back in the early days. And that's what Universal and all the other studios were doing with their productions. They had all these people on staff that they were paying on the lot and they were going to use them and they were going to use them well. And that included the directors, uh, such as Harold Young. And so there you go. You get a, a factory product that's a very good factory product. I Married a Witch from Paramount. 
again, this is a brilliant, funny film it's with fun. a lot of art. That, that's it. That's it's fun. It's great fun, and it's and it's nice to see um, Frederick March, who, if memory serves, I'm doing this without IMDb up, is the lead in this. It's nice to see him in kind of a comic role, in a the kind of a role that you might more associate with one of Cary Grant's kind of light comedic roles than you associate with March, who, if we remember, was just a little bit ago winning the Best Actor Oscar as Dr. Jekyll. Or right. Jekyll. Mm-hmm. In 1932, <laughs> he won the Oscar for that. So, right. you know, you see yeah. that, and then you go to I Married a Witch. It's it's a very different kind of performance. He was a great actor. Yeah, he really was. So it shouldn't be surprising that he's able to do more than one thing. And the director got a great performance out of him in this. It's a lot of fun. And then you get to The Undying Monster. Yeah, The Undying which is- Monster, which... Uh, I'm going to go on board and say, you know, I loved this movie. When I watched it the other day, I fell in love with it. And the direction is one of the things that, you know, here's John Brown in the best director category. And the director is one of the things that makes this film. Yes. It's the story's got is kind of wibbly wobbly and <laughs> it's got some problems. <laughs> but the director and the atmosphere and the characters are what the make the undying monster memorable and worth seeing. The pacing is really yeah, well done good. in this. And, and hey, you, if it had, had more werewolf in it, it would be much higher on my list of, of <laughs> films. A lot more werewolf in it. A lot. <laughs> Do you hear me, John Brom? A lot more werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> need more werewolf that's what we need Christopher Walken thing. We need I love werewolf. werewolf there we go alright best movie we got Cat People The Ghost of Frankenstein The Mummy's Tomb The Undying Monster and I Married a Witch we've talked about these movies already with other nominees but they're all good films this is a great category mm-hmm. a great category I, I have my favorites in it I don't want to sway the voters necessarily but you know, Cat People's great film. Ghost of Frankenstein is a great in-between step in the Frankenstein films. The Mummy's Tomb is kind of the first of the factory mummies, but still a lot of fun. We just talked about the undying monster and the, the atmosphere there. And I Married a Witch is wonderful. And it's nice that under these two best movies, and this is kind of unique for a while, both Cat People and I Married a Witch have female leads playing female monsters. I think that's why I respond well to them myself is yeah. because they are so different because you know, it's a man's club back then, you know, and, and, and in some ways still is, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. But to see that and to have these characters, these strong female characters in these strong films, I mean, even the, the female is referenced in the title of I Married a Witch. I mean, it's yep. good to see. It really is good yeah, to see. Yeah, it's good to see. And, and, Really strong performances by the leads in, you know, the mm-hmm. two leads in Cat People and Veronica Lake in I Married a Witch. Preach on, brother. <laughs> okay, best monster. Frankenstein's monster. Karis from The Mummy's Tomb. Igor from The Ghost of Frankenstein. Steve's favorite werewolf uh, from The Undying <laughs> Monsters. And then Noel, who is the monster played by J. Carol Nash in Dr. Renault's Secret. Right. And I, I probably would have put J. Carroll Nish into the, the best actor category because he's an underappreciated, brilliant actor, even playing a monster as he did in this. And it's, then he played the hunchback in uh, House of Frankenstein. He's a, he's a brilliant character actor. And, you know, and he was with us right up to the end in uh, one of your favorite films, Dracula versus Frankenstein, which <laughs> I'm coming to appreciate more. Really? The more I see it. 
it has its issues, but it does have Lon Chaney Jr. and Jay Carroll. Oh, Nash. there's hope for you yet, my friend. <laughs> so, what can we say about these monsters? Frankenstein's an icon. Karis mm-hmm. the Mummy is an icon. Mm-hmm. When people tend to forget that he was Imhotep in the Karloff incarnation, so this is the Tom Tyler Lon Chaney one. Karis Igor is one of Lugosi's best roles ever. The Undying Monster Lycanthrope is a Pretty good-looking makeup, not used very much in the movie. And Jake Carroll Nash is... I don't want to is, say a heck of a lot about that monster from... that Or Noel. I don't want to say a heck of a lot about it, because I feel like this is... Of the four, five films in this category, Undying Monster and probably Dr. Reynolds' Secrets are the ones that people have seen the least. Right, yes. And I think yeah, people absolutely. need to see Dr. Reynolds' Secret, because what kind of monster he is is fascinating. Right, and I need to watch it again, actually, for that for that very reason. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, check it out, listeners. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. No picture has been more eagerly awaited. It couldn't be made till the perfect star was found. But who will portray the gallant and heroic Jack? Only one actor has the bearing, the stature, the Olympian fortitude. And here he is. I fear nothing when I am in the right. Whoever pushes me around will find me full of fight. Jack and the Beanstalk is on the screen. But something new has been added to the best-loved legend of all time. And that something is laughter, as only Abbott and Costello can make it. With Lou as Jerk, er, Jack, that is. And Bud as Mr. Dinklepuss. Fearless, peerless, and spineless. We got a saver. You're right. The There's the castle. Come on. I... What am I doing? Go ahead. Yes, here are all the wonders of the story every mother has told her child, and every child will tell his children. The magic beanstalk, the enchanted forest, the fearsome giant, and all the marvels of his castle, the talking heart, the hen that lays the golden eggs, the captive princess, all brought to the screen in a brilliant blaze of pageantry, with Abbott and Costello at their hilarious best. In a laugh-loaded, song-sprayed adventure into Never Never Land that you'll ever remember. I managed this boy. Darling, a song for darling, darling. I can't eat you. Ruin my appetite. Oh, Mr. Giant, you should eat something. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, Mr. Dinklepuss! Okay, 
Shall we dive in? Yeah, here we go. So here's 1952. (laughs) It was a year where movies came out. Boy. (laughs) I don't know what was happening here in the industry. I'd like to go back and maybe do a little bit of research or maybe somebody out there already knows and he can let me know to save me the time. I don't know what happened. 1952 seems to have been the year that fantasy science fiction and horror films fell between the cracks. Derek sent a list of (laughs) the films in those three categories, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Not just horror, not just science fiction, all of them. And there were, what, 12? Yeah, it was pretty sparse. I couldn't even believe it. The first thing I did when I got the list was I looked at it and said, well, that can't be right. (laughs) And so I went online myself and researched them myself, and I still couldn't find more than one or two that hadn't been on that list. Even if you're really generous and you included things like cereals. Yeah, and last night even, before I went to bed, I was looking at it again. I'm like, this. I'm missing something. I have to be missing something. Everybody's got to be missing. No. It's, it seems like you have to be missing something because there's just nothing there. And you were talking about up to five nominees in these categories. <laughs> yeah. And in this one, you guys are going to notice there are not five nominees in a number of these categories. But that just leaves you more room for write-ins. Right. right. So if you know yeah, something that absolutely. we don't. But you're going to have to find something to write it in. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right. So the best actor category, which is one of the two categories that actually has five nominees. We yes. have Peter Graves from Red Planet Mars, Boris Karloff in The Black Castle. And for Bela Lugosi's film here, I think I'm going to start calling it Vampire Over London, even though in our notes I put it My Son the Vampire. It's the same movie pretty much. Well, that's the way it's known in, in the U.S., and it even has – Alan Sherman theme song. Which is stuck in my head all of a sudden. Right. Rod Cameron from The Jungle and Eric von Stroheim from a German film. Al Raun, we believe. Listen to you. And listeners, Steve's even got a little bit of a head cold for him to be able to pronounce a German word without hacking up a lung. (laughs) Now the German people are all going to say, no, that's totally wrong. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. We might as well, since you mentioned it last, we might as well tackle that one first, because this is the one I haven't seen. I've only seen little bits of clips on YouTube, and I thought maybe Derek, who has an all-region player, would have seen it. It looks like it's probably really cool. (laughs) I haven't seen it in its entirety either, but what I've seen of it looks really good. It's got Eric von Stroheim. Yeah, I mean, von Stroheim is... It's got to be good, right? charismatic and i know he had some issues with hollywood in terms of being a director that he would spend a lot of time and money on movies greed you know <laughs> the film greed right. is notorious well, that's for because going he with- was kind of a brilliant genius that wouldn't take no for an answer exactly perfectionist yeah but i think sometimes people forget that he's also just fascinating and magnetic to watch on screen right yeah wasn't he yeah wasn't he mr freeze in one of the batman series and with adam west there were three different Mr. Freezes, as I recall, in the Adam West Batman, and I think he was one of them. But now I'm going to have to scurry and <laughs> check IMDb to make sure I'm not misremembering that. <laughs> I am going online right now, and uh, I don't... Hmm. <laughs> it's either him or it's another famous German director that I'm, I'm mistaking for him. And the, the other things we've got, the other actors we've got in this category, there are some kind of odd ones, too. So we've got Peter Graves in Red Planet Mars, 
which is one of the only science fiction things that came out that year. And he's uh, a scientist, as I recall. Red Planet Mars is one of these films that's not kind of one of my favorites because it's a Martian film that doesn't actually have Martians in it, as I recall, and has more of a kind of a uh, a red scare religion versus non-religion message to it. Uh, Peter Graves is good in it, though. Boris Karloff in The Black Castle. The Black Castle was really kind of the powerhouse of that 1952 in terms of horror movies. It was one that will, when you see it, you'll say, oh yeah, this is a horror movie. This reminds me of a lot of, a lot of stuff that, that Universal and the other studios were doing there. And it's got a, a really good cast as well. And Karloff is not the lead character, but plays a pivotal character in the Black Castle. And he's really good. Bela Lugosi in Vampire Over London or My Son the Vampire. This is usually counted as one of Bela Lugosi's vampire roles, even though he's more of a mad scientist mm-hmm. playing a vampire. And this is also known as Old Mother Riley meets the vampire. Oh. And Old Mother Riley, for those of you that don't know, is a British character that was played by a man in drag. And, oh boy, <laughs> that's hard to take. <laughs> the Old Mother Riley series, I believe there were, I don't know, they ran for 20 years. So a, a franchise. Right. Arthur Lucan played the character, and it was typically him in drag. And then his real-life wife was also in the film. This film is the last in the run. He and his wife had gotten divorced, so she's not in the movie. So the back and forth between him and his wife isn't there. But Bale is here, and you know he's called – I think the character's even called the vampire, but he's not really a vampire. I think this film, theme song getting stuck in your head aside, is fascinating to watch just for the Lugosi stuff. It really shows right. that he had the comedic chops that a lot of people say he didn't have. I'm sorry. It was Otto Preminger who was Mr. Freeze I was going to bring that up when we were done. Yeah, I just I saw that too. <laughs> sorry, Stroheim. I didn't mean it. Was Stroheim the butler in Sunset Boulevard, or was that Preminger too? No, he was in <laughs> he was in Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's a great actor. Even if I did just confuse him with Otto Preminger. Sorry, sorry, guys. <laughs> Listeners can stop writing the email they were sending. And it's like I can't believe you got this wrong. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what happens when you actually are talking off the, your memory in the top of your head uh, <laughs> and these kind of things. Anyway, Lugosi is the reason to watch yes. My Son the Vampire, whatever they call it. Lugosi, and if you're an Alan Sherman fan, the theme song. But the theme song's only at the beginning. My Son the Vampire. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, not like. helping getting that out of my head. Yes, I yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny if you like. Uh, Alan Sherman. Yeah, no, it's a great song. It really is. And his performance, again, I really liked it. The story behind him getting involved in that movie, he went to London to do a stage revival of Dracula that didn't pan out. He's there. Somebody threw him in a movie. And he gets to wear the cape. Mm -hmm. And people talk about him as if he's a vampire, but he's not really. So, you know, Monster Kids, when you watch this, be prepared to be disappointed in terms of monsters. In fact, this was not a a wonderful year for monsters, as we'll see as yeah. we go. Anyway, Eric von Stroheim was in uh, Al Round, and we hope to see that if some uh, listeners have a great uh, connection that can hook us up with that so we can see the whole thing rather than pieces. That'd be good. Would love to see it. And I believe it was called The Unnatural when it was released here in the States. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But again, I have not seen the whole thing. I'd love to. So listeners, just saying. Okay, and then Rod Cameron from The Jungle. Who, in my brain, I'm 
confusing with Rod Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least in this case, they have the same first name as opposed to Ernest and Otto. Right. <laughs> hey, but those guys are German. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> we don't all look alike, Steve. I'm just saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't even pronounce your names all alike, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay, so anyway. Rod Cameron is one of the two male leads in the jungle. He acts against Cesar Romero. So there's another Batman connection. But oh, actually a legitimate yeah. Batman connection this time, right? Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen The Jungle? You know, I, I'm now typing into IMDb because I am – yes, I have. Of course I have. There's a lot of stock uh, footage I'm, in that I'm an movie. idiot. Of course I have. The Jungle is – and we'll probably get to this later on. It's one of these films that features a lot of walking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's actually really good. But it's – the title is so generic that it never sticks with me for more than, you know, like a week. It's like, yeah, okay, the jungle, that's the one with the mammoths in it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've seen that. I have that on DVD. <laughs> I watched it again in the last month. <laughs> but the title doesn't stick with me. Yeah, yeah. Rod Cameron's, uh, he's actually very good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he is. And the, the actors are quite good in the jungle. It's just, it has issues. We'll get to that. It does. <laughs> so we'll talk about it, even though it's going to turn up later. So best actress. We only have four this time around. Andrea King from the Red Planet Mars film. Rita Corday from the Black Castle. You want to take the German name? <laughs> I like how you do it. Uh, Al Raun. What's the actress's name? Hildegard Kneff. Oh, see, you did it with or an accent before. Neff. <laughs> what? You did it with an accent before. Come on. <laughs> Hildegard Neff. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and then Dora Byron from Mice on the Vampire or A Vampire Over London. I, I know you're not a huge fan of Red Planet Mars, but do you like the acting in it at least? Yes, I do like the acting in it. And that's why Peter Graves and, and Andrea King are actually were on my recommendations list for it. I probably should watch it again. But, you know, there are films that you see as a kid that disappoint you even as an adult <laughs> you know 40 years later plus you have a hard time getting over the disappointment and i i remain disappointed that there is no actual red planet mars in red planet mars despite the cool title if they called it message from mars i might have been less disappointed but red planet mars did seem to imply that they would be stomping around on mars like they do in say angry red planet yeah that's true Although, for the record, since you said it, I would totally read a book written by Stephen D. Sullivan called Message from Mars. I'm just saying. That's a great title. It's a great title. You should use it. That's yeah, not too bad. Because I know you don't have anything else you're writing right now. So, you no, know, if you I'm need something, not working on, that's free. On a, you can use that. Three books right now. <laughs> Rita Corday in The Black Castle. The Black Castle doesn't have a lot of females in it anyway. <laughs> right. Actresses. So, this one. Yeah. You know. it, and, but But she's good in it. And mm-hmm. there's actually. When I was looking for recommendations to try to fill out five, there's actually a female character that appears only briefly in The Black Castle, who's like a huntress of some kind. They talk about her going out on the hunts with the men and stuff. If she had appeared in more than one scene, she might have made my list, because that's how light we were on on actresses to nominate in this category. And, and, you know, other people that just missed the list would be Marie Windsor from, um, from the jungle, the unmemorably titled the jungle. Right. Well, and there's an actress from, uh, that Abbott and Costello from Jack of the Beanstalk that is only in the movie briefly. And I thought, you know, if she's in the movie more, 
she could be right. on that list because a female lead, and that's not very good. But this other woman, oh well. Right. Yeah. And Hildegard, we have only seen brief clips of you. You look like you're really good. We hope to see the rest of your film around <laughs> <laughs> sometime soon. Yeah, I'm looking at her IMDb list and uh, lots of German movies, <laughs> which means nothing that we're going to get easily over here. Right. Yeah. Not even you that has a, an all-region DVD player. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time on the German Amazon site. Uh, I think I was there last when I ordered or bought my Revenge of the Creature Blu-ray from them. Ah. So, but the French Amazon has actually got a lot of universal Blu-rays right now. Anyway, that's a totally different conversation. <laughs> and my wallet wants me to shut up right now. So Dora right, yeah. Byron from <laughs> Vampire Over London. What do you think of her? She's okay. The trouble with Vampire Over London, My Son the Vampire, is that I have a hard time making it through that film. It's tough. When Lugosi's not on screen. Yes. And when it's just Old Mother Riley doing a song on Dance Umber, it's tough. Right. Or doing shtick and stuff. It's just like, in my head anyway, I keep comparing him to the comedians that I really like. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, like Harold Lloyd Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, who did the kind of physical shtick so much better in my mind. And it's just, I'm sure in its place and time, obviously they made a whole bunch of those old Mother Riley films. So clearly they touched something in the British zeitgeist of the times, but... It does not touch me. <laughs> no, and there might be a reason why this was the last one in the run. And again, they had Lugosi. They should have used him more. Yeah. So, and the film ends really abruptly, too. It does. Oh, it's done. Yep. Wait, we caught everybody? That's it? It's over? <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so she, she's good. This is a very thin category. It really is. But the director category is even thinner, <laughs> more thin. <laughs> Astonishingly, yeah, oh, because you've eliminated ones that are, I mean, we could have filled out five in every one of these things if we'd really, really yeah, wanted probably. to. Yeah, I mean, this one was tough. This was such a tough year. Nathan Duran, who did a lot of Harryhausen, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, he, he did. Well, he's on the list this year for directing The Black Castle. We got Harry Horner for Red Planet Mars and Arthur Maria... Rabinot. I don't know. I did that with French, and it's German. Isn't yeah. It? Wow. Rabinot, I would assume, on Al Rune, <laughs> which uh, I am sure that we're going to get people calling and saying, Steve is totally butchering that. <laughs> Al Rune. So the person who really championed this with me swears uh -huh. they're going to get a copy to me. Cool. So I'll keep everybody posted. It's one of these things. You read the description of it, and you see the little clips, and you think, oh, I'd really love to see that. This and then you good. get frustrated because it's – well, it seemed to be impossible to get copies of. And it, it is worth mentioning that when <laughs> when you put 1952 up and you were looking for things to put in it, I actually went and I ordered a bunch of things from 1952 that I hadn't seen now. I was impressed, Yeah. There just wasn't that much stuff there. The the list, if you go and you look at the lists on Wikipedia or IMDb, and there's just nothing here. 1952 was a ghost town mm -hmm. for the kind of movies we love. It seems crazy because there was so much stuff just before and after. The 52 seems to have just fallen through the cracks. I mean, you think about the 50s, and I mean, this is the era of the atomic horrors, the big bug monster movies. Creature came out in the 50s. Hammer's going to start doing things later in the 50s. So you don't think of it being a slim pick in type of year, but it really was for this time. Right. But the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms was 1953, and that's what started mm -hmm. all the rest of them. I mean, you have the kaiju stuff starting up, so. That's next year, and mm -hmm. it's all because of the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. 
that the Beast, Ray, Ray Harryhausen and the Beast, started the entire 1950s atomic monster craze. Which, if you really look at the lineage of that, he was inspired by the King Kong film. So, I mean, right, which yeah. would turn up later in a kaiju film down the line. So it's all like the circle of kaiju life. It's interesting. <laughs> the circle of kaiju life. That almost gets the My Son the Vampire song out of my head. Almost. <laughs> I'll have to work on it a little more. <laughs> So, best movie. Best movie. Four films. Red Planet Mars. The Black Castle. Al Raun. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to pull that clip out. Just play <laughs> you just have a little button that's just Steve says, Al Raun. <laughs> <laughs> and then The Jungle is the At last the one. The Jungle. Mm-hmm. And let's, uh, you know, we're going to get to this on best, mon- best Monster, which is the next and final category. But The Jungle is in, in this entirely because it's populated in the last, 10 minutes or so of the film with woolly mammoths. It's about an expedition to find woolly mammoths in India. And it's actually a beautifully shot and fairly well-produced film, and it has good actors in it. The trouble is that most of that 70 minutes or so that this film runs, and I'm talking about 55 minutes, is taken up with shots of them walking through the jungle or paddling canoes down the river through the jungle. And while the jungle is beautifully shot, and maybe in 1952 that was enough, and it's all shot in a sepia tone too. That's worth noting. that It's a black and white film that's actually in sepia more than black and white. But the trouble with the jungle is... There's too much jungle in it and not enough of the characters. Once the characters get to do things, which they basically do in the first five or so minutes and the last ten or so minutes, it's pretty interesting. The middle part, though, I discovered as I was watching this again for the second time that my DVD player has a play it at 1.3 speed. Oh, no. (laughs) With the sound. You can actually watch the whole film at like time and a half with the sound on it. And once I did that, it became much more interesting. Nice. <laughs> anyway, that's The Jungle, and, and it's on the best movie list because it's beautiful. It and looks it's great. Well-acted. It's just, it feels like they spent all their budget getting the cast and crew to India because they actually shot some of this on location in India. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, the, we should have mentioned that. This is actually shot on location in glorious black and white. Yeah. In India. It was a co-production. So, and there, there's yeah. a, I mean, it looks great, but, yeah. you know, yeah, when you're not dealing with stock, yeah, there's stock footage, there's all this walking, and then you get woolly mammoths at the end, which is pretty right. cool. I mean, you, yeah, no, the mammoth, you, if the mammoths, had been, if they'd gotten to the woolly mammoths much earlier and done more stuff and been hanging out the area where the woolly mammoths are and had to deal with the other problems there, you know, if it had been a little more like the land unknown with mammoths, then it would be a much cooler movie and much more suitable. But it's, but the mammoths are kind of cool. They really are. Yeah. Really They're kind of cool. It just takes too long to get to them. And then we have Al Rune, which again, Al Raun, sorry, I keep doing Rune <laughs> Runestone, no, it's Al Raun because it's German. We have that, which again, we've only seen pieces of. The Black Castle, which as I said, this is the one you're going to look at and you're going to recognize this is a classic horror movie. Yes. It's a good classic horror movie. It's really worth seeing. But it's, you know, it's light on monsters, which, as we know, <laughs> is one of my things. <laughs> sure. But at the same time, yeah. you know, it's a good film. And Red Planet Mars, again, a well-produced and well-acted film. 
that for me personally just doesn't hit hit the mark. But people are gonna there are gonna be people listening to this that probably every one of these movies, the Red Planet Mars, Black Castle, Al Raun, and the Jungle, somebody's gonna like each one of those as their best film. And I guess we could have put My Son the Vampire on here too, but boy, no. No, 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 no. Nobody Which tells you how strong Lugosi's performance mm-hmm. is in it because he is the reason to watch it. Yep. So, all right. Well, My Son the Vampire does kind of sort of have an appearance in the best monster list because there's a robot in here, the robot Mark One from My Son the Vampire. It does. And in case you're wondering why Lugosi is not on the list, it's because he's not actually a vampire. Exactly. He's just a mad scientist that sleeps in a coffin. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Which, okay. <laughs> all right, so we have the giant played by Buddy Bear in the Abbott and Costello film Jack and the Beanstalk, which is not one of their stronger films. It is not. To say. It is not, but he he is a giant, and he played, Is it was he in The Giant from the Unknown as well? Was he the giant in that too? I don't remember. I keep asking these questions that we should have looked up and... <laughs> out i'll look it up while derek reads he the was categories he was yep, yep. see all right and then we see, have- this is what before you had the internet kids you had to actually read things in famous monsters of Filmland magazine and places like that and put them in your head somewhere to, to use later just <laughs> a little lesson there from from uh you know a guy that's increasingly old <laughs> <laughs> steve just revealed the real reason why i invited him to be on the show so I wouldn't right. have to look things up on the internet all the time. It's like, you're an exactly. old guy. You know what it was. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you were there, right? <laughs> yeah, except I'm going to confuse uh, Otto Preminger with <laughs> with Von Stroheim to my everlasting shame. Sorry, guys. <laughs> all right, so here's a film that didn't turn up anywhere else in the ballot. The Hairy Men from Untamed Women. I have only seen Untamed Women once, and it was years ago when I got it on a DVD as a double feature with a movie called Cuban Rebel Girls with Errol Flynn. Um, <laughs> more stock footage. Yeah, that's the same DVD I've got. Yeah, More, more stock footage, but you know, there's some Neanderthals. They call them it's, the, the it's kind of a fun film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's Lost Tribe of Untamed Women and the hairy men are the brutes. They're making their lives miserable and stuff. And, you know, they're Neanderthals. They're cavemen. They're monsters. Sure, sure. And we got Gargan, who is the Lon Chaney character in The Black Castle. Right. Who is, you know, he's a monster in the sense that, you know, the Quasimodo yeah, is a monster. Yeah, he's a hunchback type, yeah. And then the, the mammoths again from The Jungle that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and the mammoths are cool. The mammoths are neat. Although, you know, I meant to go back and make sure that they weren't actually just cuts from um, 1 million BC. I don't think they were. Or, I think they were new mammoths. Yeah. If they weren't new mammoths, they integrated them really, really well. And you don't see any cave people running around with them. Well, this, yeah, this is true. <laughs> oh, so that's the ballot. So what's going to happen is I'm going to put a link to this over at monsterkidradio.net. That's going to take you to a Google form that you can fill out. I'll need your name and email address because I only want to get one vote per person. That's what I'll use to kind of verify that. Click which one's your favorite or write in your favorite. And then I believe in, let's see, what is next month? May. So June. I'm not going to make people wait almost a year this time. So in June, (laughs) we'll announce the winners. And Steve, you want to come back to go over the winners with me? Uh, Sure. Yeah. If you want back. Sounds good. We'll make it happen. Happy to talk about that.
Hey, you know what? I can't let Steve go. Actually, there was a piece of feedback I wanted to give review with Steve. Now, this doesn't normally happen. No. Normally, we've got a rotating stable of guests here, and by the time I give feedback on a particular episode, if I get any at all, that guest is not on the show. But because I know we're long was- gone, long gone. Right. Well, at this point. Steve is back, and I got a message on Facebook from Richard. Richard says, Hi there, Derek and all Monster Kids. I've been listening to the show for a while now, but I'm writing for the first time. I really enjoy the show and having you and your guests talk about the various monster movies of yesteryear. I heard the one featuring S.B. Sullivan earlier today about The Mummy from Universal Pictures, a film that I particularly like for the makeup work done on Boris Karloff as Ardeth Bay. I wonder if you noticed how similar the end of The Mummy is to the end of Hammer's Dracula, with the undead being finally decomposing to death so that there's nothing but bones to the film's conclusion. Hmm. Hadn't quite noticed that, but yeah. Yeah, it, although the uh, the mummy is much less explicit than the, uh, the lead Dracula. I hadn't really considered it myself, but darn, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch those movies again. Dang. I know, right? <laughs> Life as a monster kid is so hard. <laughs> it is. You have to go back and watch these movies you love again and again and again just to see little pieces of it you might have missed. I do like the decomposition at the end of Horror Dracula, but if it's in The Mummy, it, it couldn't be nearly as graphic. Well, no, it's not. And it's, I mean, basically you see his face turning to kind of a, a skull in a superimposition right. shot, and then you hear the clatter of his bones crashing to the ground. You Which don't actually see him crumbling. Almost creepier, I think. Yeah, it is, it is actually. Like, ah, clatter, clatter, crack. The, oh, that's bones yeah. to the ground. <laughs> ah. Sometimes it's creepier to imply things than show them. The sounds are so effective. We were talking earlier about the sounds from White Zombie with the grinding of the, of the sugar cane and all that. That's just, ugh. Yep. Yeah. The sounds good to you. Yeah, they can. Totally. Yeah, but I hadn't considered it. And because Richard had written in, I wanted to get your take on it real quick and see what you had to say because it was a movie that we had talked about. We both love The Mummy so much. Oh, yeah, totally. One of totally. the best. One of the best. Yeah. Now, the rest of his message isn't necessarily specific to Steve, but since he's here. I recently noticed on Amazon that they have some Abbott and Costello double bills for sale. I wanted your advice on them. One is Abbott and Costello meet the killer and meet Jekyll and Hyde, which I do know stars Mr. Karloff as Jekyll, or Jekyll, as Steve says. Uh, the other is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which has Bela Lugosi reprising his Dracula role. This is placed with Meet the Mummy. Are these films worth getting, as I'm not very familiar with the Abbott and Costello, because I grew up with Laurel and Hardy? Many thanks for your show as I get to finally hear from others who share this interest, something I'm unable to do here in the UK. Oh, so Richard's from the UK. There we go. All right. There you go. Abbott and Costello movies, Frankenstein's the best. It's the pinnacle. It's the one. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. top comics, Abbott and Costello, petrified, but hilariously. Plus the dangerous and terrifying Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney. Plus that fiend out of a nightmare, the vampire Batman, Count Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi. Plus the most dreaded creature of them all, the Frankenstein monster, played by Glenn Strange. Plus a couple of luscious but designing females in the spookiest laugh fest on record. 
that, that's the one that really stands out among all of them. But having said that, I I really like them all actually. I enjoy uh, Jekyll and Hyde. I actually saw on a big screen uh, from DVD, as it turned out. I thought it was going to be 35 down in Chicago a couple of years ago. It was a lot of fun on the big screen. I, I like that. In fact, I just picked up. There are, in addition to these kind of twofers, there are a box set isn't quite the right word, but there are these sets of Abbott and Costello movies. There are four of them. I think it's they're roughly chronological order. So the last two have all the monster movies on them, and that's really cool. And I, you know, the I don't remember the Meet the Killer Boris Karloff quite as well, but you know, anything that's got Boris in it is great. And that goes for the the Jekyll and Hyde and that. And the Mummy movie is fun. And uh, I'm missing one. Am, am I missing one? So the four that he's talking about, but there's Invisible Man, which is fantastic. The, the Invisible Man, which right. Just he didn't one. mention, but that's also one of my favorites. Yeah. I like them all. I, I think they're all really worth worth seeing. Obviously, the Meet Frankenstein is the template from which all of these others are made. So they're all kind of lesser reflections of it. Right. But they're all really fun. And I think Abbott and Costello, when they're on their game, and they certainly were in, in Frankenstein, they're hilarious. You know, they've survived the test of time, I think, really, really well in ways that lesser lights of comedy maybe have not survived quite so well. Certainly, they're, you know, the people that uh, they apparently thought were really funny in their in the 40s that we don't think are so funny now. But Adam and Costello are not those people. The, Adam and Costello, the Marx Brothers, they hold, they hold up well. Yeah, they've definitely held up. And Frankenstein, I can't speak highly enough of. The Meet the Killer Boris Karloff is not a monster romp in the same way the other ones are. In fact, Boris Karloff is a much smaller character in that. If I remember right, when Joe and I talked about it, it ended up being a movie that was in production before. Uh, They started doing the monster thing and they threw Boris Karloff in there. Yeah, I I can't remember. I'd have to talk to Joe Stuber about that. Maybe next time I have him on, which will be soon, I swear. (laughs) I think you may be right about that. But it's it's more of a, a crime comedy yeah. than a monster comedy, as I remember. Because, of course, Bor- Boris was in kind of a number of these. We think of them as monster movies mostly because Boris is in them, but there were more kind of crime dramas with a mad killer kind of thing and, the, and those kind of things that he was in more. Uh, I guess maybe a mad scientist in some of them. And, and Meet the Killer is... It's they're trading on Boris's name, but it's not a monster film per se. Right, exactly. But it's Boris. But it is Boris. Boris did not play bad stuff. You know, I know there's a big Karloff Lugosi kind of uh, split between the two camps as to who's the better guy to to see who was the better actor. I think they're both great actors, but there is no doubt in my mind that Karloff had the better material. I think so, too. Aside from some of the stuff he was in right at the end of his life, you know, that he was they were shooting most of it in the Philippines or wherever. If Boris is in a movie, it's chances are it's a pretty darn good movie. And that goes to the, the killer Boris Karloff. And he's also in a, a terrific Charlie Chan movie, Charlie Chan at the Opera, where he plays an opera singer. And he's terrific. And I totally think that all the Abbott and Costello monster films and the Karloff film are totally worth getting and that's why i have them all in my collection yep really would recommend them but if you only had to pick one i'd go with the frankenstein which comes with the mummy which is the last in the run so you get the yes. start and the end which the mummy the budget's a little less and the mummy design is not yeah. the best but you know it's, it's still probably fun. the least of them all it is it is I, i'm not a big fan of abbott with a mustache 
and he does have a must. Oh, there's just something when you put a mustache on him, he's not nearly as funny to me, and I don't know why that is. That's funny. We were um, we had TCM on the other night, and uh, Mutiny and the Bounty was on, and Clark Gable is in that, and my wife is like, "Oh my God, he's really handsome without his mustache." <laughs> Clark with her his mustache does nothing for my wife. Clark without his mustache, she was like impressed. So nice. yeah, sometimes sometimes the mustache works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the guy that thinks he looks best in the mustache maybe doesn't. So there you go. <laughs> I agree with about Bud Abbott. Yeah, the mustache is not kind of working for him. Well, Steve, thanks for sticking around just a little bit longer. Okay, stsullivan.com, cushinghorse.com. Steve, you go. I've had you on the show forever. Go. Get out of here. Don't make me call <laughs> Rodan. Uh, no, no, not again. Oh, <laughs> oh, <run away. laughs> Terror stalks the streets of London. The most dreaded monster of them all strikes again, and panic sweeps the city. But two men of intrepid daring fight back. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, co-starring Boris Karloff, twice as menacing as ever. Terror becomes turmoil and the laughs get terrific when Bud and Lou trap the beast among a bevy of beauties and get lost in a house of horrors that would frighten even Frankenstein. Come on, come on! Come on, we can catch the monster! Give me a hand! Come on! It'll scare you right out of your theater seat. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. An uproarious riot from beginning to end. They have never lived before as they live now. One man has already died and the other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein in color, rated GP. There was so much more that Steve and I talked about, up to and including his Patreon project, CushingHorrors.com. Go check that out. As of right now, he is two patrons away from hitting the next milestone, so go check it out. Let him know that Monster Kid Radio sent you his way. Thank you, Steve, for being part of the show, and thank you, listeners, for, well, being part of the show as well, and for participating in this year's Monster Rally Awards. Head over to monsterkidradio.net. Over on the right, you're going to see a link to click on the ballot, or you can just go straight to tinyurl.com slash rallies2016. The deadline for your ballot is June 9th, and then probably later that month, we'll announce the winners. Like I said, I'm not going to make people wait nearly a year next time. I promise. I am going to make you wait a week, though, for the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. And oh, boy, it's May. It's Lucha de Mayo. And that means five weeks, five episodes, nothing but luchador monster movies. 
I love these films. They're so unique. They're so flavorful and colorful, even the black and white ones. They have such a distinct style and flair, and they're just so much fun. So much fun that I'm going to dedicate all of next month to these types of movies. So I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. And if you don't, well, maybe you'll enjoy some of the guests we have lined up. Like next week's guest, author Frank Schildener. He is coming back to Monster Kid Radio, and he and I are going to talk about the Mil Mascaris film 1972's Robbery of the Mummies of Guanajuato. It was a treat to record that episode. I hope it'll be a treat for you to listen. Now, if you head over to monsterkidradio.net right now, you can see some of the artwork that artist Shelby Denham has put together for Lucha de Mayo. Yeah, those portraits, the Luchadors listening to podcasts, that's her work. Go check her out. You can always find her at shelbydenham.daportfolio.com as well. Also on monsterkidradio.net, you're going to find everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes like our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com and our voicemail line. We heard a voicemail earlier, so we know the phone number works. It's 503-479-5657. It's 503-479-5MKR. We have links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group through our website, so you can get to the page and the group that way. We also have a link to the Dorado Films Facebook page. As longtime listeners know, I do a little bit of work for Dorado Films. On the side, Dorado Films is your home for European gold from the silver screen, Euro cult cinema from the 1960s and 70s. I'm talking Euro crime, spaghetti westerns, monster movies, giallo films, just some crazy zany films, war films. We have a prehistoric film in there. Our catalog is thousands of movies deep. And if you get to our Facebook page, you'll see that we're talking about some of the movies that we're thinking about releasing this year in their original language with an English track, either subtitled or dubbed, depending on what material is available to us. And there's a survey going on over there right now as well to help us decide which title we're going to put out first. So get over there. Well, if you're so inclined, help us decide what we're going to put out on DVD next. And between you and me, listeners, I'm kind of sort of in charge of a lot of the social media stuff going on with Dorado Films. So anything you can do to, you know, help me out, I'd appreciate Of course, let's keep it on the monsters here on Monster Kid Radio. You know, over at our website on the right, underneath the head of Rondo Hatton, you can see a place where you can enter your email address to get subscribed to the Monster Kid Radio Gazette. It's a monthly e-newsletter. Comes out at the end of the month, which means there's still time for you to get your name and email address on the list. What's in the Gazette? Well, it's just more stuff, more Monster Kid Radio goodness, more monster fun you know, I've put in crossword puzzles. I've got a monster editorial, an editorial that I write every month. This time around, I've got some pictures lined up. You know what? You don't want to miss it. Just saying. And you don't want to miss Lucha de Mayo here on Monster Kid Radio next week. I'm going to go get ready. I've got to hit the gym so I look good when I'm wearing my Lucha mask. In the meantime, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, it doesn't apply to a couple of songs. One is The Show Must Be Go. That's the theme song for the rallies. It's by Kevin McLeod. You can find it at incompetech.com. It's licensed under a Creative Commons by attribution 3.0 license. And the song for this episode, Funeral Bop, from the album Elevator, from Stevie and the Nobodies. You can find them at stevieandthenobodies.bandcamp.com. Ten tracks, three pounds. It's a deal, I'm telling you. Talk to everybody next week. (laughs) 